Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody is well. Hope my sound is okay today. Heard that it wasn't doing amazing yesterday. Happy. What day are we in? What day are we in? Was it Monday, Tuesday? Happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, week is flying by. Great to be with you again. We started yesterday to really delve into this concept of what's going on in our minds. Thank you, Andy. What's going on in our minds when we talk about this trait of discipline? It's a muscle that we're going to go to and we're going to grow it together and we're going to employ it to stay away from the things that we should be staying away from. And they could be small and big because if you can learn how to stay away from the things that we should stay away from, even the small little things, ultimately over time, we will invest more attention and energy and the things that we should be doing, and then ultimately bring a huge benefit into our lives. So yesterday we spoke about the difference between the limbic system, the limbic system, which is the back of our heads, and the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of our heads. And these are two different parts of our brain. The back really is the place of impulse. It's the place in which we are acting, as they call it, the hot system, the place of the amygdala. Many times when we are when we are overwhelmed to do something, that's where it's being driven from. So when you talk about a desire for something, you see people that destroy their lives because they gave into a desire that was illicit. And you ask them like, what were you thinking? And their answer is, I, I wasn't. They really weren't, but they meant what they mean is that they weren't thinking with their prefrontal cortex. They weren't analyzing. They weren't rationalizing. They were just saying things. They were just doing, they were being moved towards something. This happens in all different types of desires, but let's use one that's easier to deal with. It's a little also safer, which is food. There's plenty more we can talk about, but let's stick with that, which is a little bit easier to discuss, which is food. So this happens to all of us, right? You go somewhere, you're hungry, you go shopping or you go to a wedding or you go to the fridge and you're like, I should and I should and I should and I should and I should, I should, I should, I should. Next thing you know, the cake is gone. Ice cream's finished, right? Plowed, usually like one little scoop at a time because you don't gain calories. I don't know if my mom is on today, but that's what she taught me. You don't gain calories if it's a small little bit, right? So you, you go through it, you finish the whole thing. You feel disgusting afterwards. You go to bed, you're like, I shouldn't have. And in your head, we're thinking like, wait, there was no part of me that thought I should do this. It wasn't a judgment call. Like what happened? And what happened was the part of your brain that is impulsive was overwhelming the part of the brain that was analytical, where they call executive decisions are taking place. And that balance, that battle is the battle of our lives. So when, you, when we talk about the marshmallow test, what we learned from that story was that the kids that were a little bit better. Now, one of the most important things that we have to recognize in life, and I, I got this from the first time I saw this concept was with a book called Outliers from Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. And his theory was, and he spoke about this with regards to hockey players. 
he went through the hockey players that are professional hockey players. And he looked at each player and he started to measure them based on their birthdays. So he wanted to see how many professional hockey players are born in the first quarter of the year, January, February, or March. And what he found was there was a, or at least the studies that he looked at, I don't think he did the study, the studies that he found showed that there was a large, a larger amount of people that are professional hockey players that are born in the beginning of the year than in the end of the year. And why is that? And the answer that the researchers give is that when you're a professional hockey player, you don't just roll in. Hockey is such an incredibly intense skill-based sport that there's a very strong farm system. You, you go up in levels. So the people that are going to play professional hockey, we know about them because they're like 11 right now and they're playing in some top league. At some point, the coaches pick the best players to go to the, you know, and you're five. You got to go to the good, the travel teams and the non-travel teams, right? When you're seven, you go to the AA, you know, the triple A and the single A, right? That's happening when you're little. Well, if you're playing hockey, which is a very physical sport and it's hand-eye coordination sport, well, when you're five and you're born in January and you're getting, you're going up against a kid who's five and he's born in November, you're a year older. You're, you're both five, but the five-year-old that was born in January, February is bigger, stronger, and more coordinated than the five-year-old that's born in December. So most likely in any given class of five-year-olds, the kids born earlier have a, have a significant advantage than everybody else. And that puts them in the next level and the next level, right? And then they travel. So that kid, unless you were like amazing, that kid who would have been picked if he was born in January, he's born in November, he gets put into this league and then to that league and then to that league. Now, one of the most powerful concepts in this research shows that most people that are great at something in life are not born with the genes that give them the greatness. Yes, there's a proclivity towards something. They incline, there are kids that just never play hockey, of course. And there are kids that are a little bit better and a little bit more hand-eye coordinated. They like music a little bit, okay. But usually it's because they step out a little bit ahead of the pack when they're younger and then they get rewarded for it. And then that behavior gets reinforced. And then over time, they build the neuroplasticity so that they become an expert. And this is his theory that he takes from the psychologists about the 10,000 hour rule. And we had it here on the show from Anders Ericsson, who really discusses it, which we won't talk about that now. But Andy will remind me, we'll get that later when we talk about deliberate practice. But and we spoke about deliberate practice here. But the theory, if you're following this, is that when we look around and are impressed with people that are so well-developed and they have it all figured out, they don't have different genes than us. They don't. They, they exhibited a little bit more than maybe we did when they, were, when they were little. And as a result, they got rewarded for that. And so they kept on doing that. And just like us, their brains created all these connections, but they just, they stepped out a little bit earlier. So if you go to the Philharmonic and you see the violinist who's killing it, she wasn't born doing that whole thing. She was born and she was a little more interested or her parents made her more interested in it. And she just stepped out of her class when she was little. And then because of it, she had all this positive reinforcement that everyone thought she was amazing. And she played for the family. And then she got put into that program. 
And really what she's doing is she's just neuro, she's just building the neuroplasticity. She's just given the positive reinforcement to do that. They, they, she was given the opportunity to do that. Now, this is so critical because if you really go down to the beginnings of things, most people that are now world experts were just like the people next to them. Now there are, let's just accept out like crazy geniuses. There are people like that. But remember, greatness in life isn't based on a few categories. It's based on how we live our lives, right? So yeah, there's some people that are just born like, crazy math heads okay so for them greatness may be math but when it comes to character traits we're all together how it manifests it's a different story and what's so powerful about this marshmallow test is that what it shows us is those kids that just had a little bit more of a propensity towards regulating and controlling the back the limbic system the hot part of the brain the impulsive part, just a little bit more control over the impulses, just that little bit more, just to hold out a few minutes for a free marshmallow to get another one, that one trait of holding back from what I want, of allowing the impulse to take place and not reacting to it, that one bit of control they got rewarded at that moment. Like, think about it. Let's just play this out, right? That kid who just is a little bit better than his sister or brother. Let's take two, two sisters. One sister's better than the other sister, let's say, okay? So she's a little bit better at holding back. Well, first of all, she gets rewarded with the marshmallow, right? But I'm sure she gets rewarded a lot. I'm sure she, when she does her homework and holds back from, from being distracted. I'm sure when she does better in school and holds back from playing with her friends, right? I'm sure when she gets, I'm sure that she's constantly getting rewarded for the things she's doing, but really what she's getting rewarded for is the discipline. And so she gets the opportunity to build discipline in her mind. Whereas that person who wasn't getting rewarded for that, it's just the discipline that has to be fixed, but she doesn't, doesn't have that same positive rewards and feedback. And why this is so critical is because it doesn't matter where we are today in the world of discipline. It can be taught. It could be learned. It could be strengthened like any muscle can. And once we understand how it works, once we understand it and we pull ourselves away from it, right? This is the key piece. When, when we want to eat that cake, or say that, well, let's, do, let's make it a little more complex. When we want to say that thing, ever have that, that ever happened to you? You know, the friend of yours that you had that, had that has no filter? You know that friend? No filter? They just say whatever they want, right? So the impulse to say something and the ability to say it is like just, they just, there's no. So every time you want to say that thing and you're right and you should, you hold it back. Every time you want to do that thing or you want to stop doing that thing, you ever like work at something or read something or are engaged in depth. This happens, especially for people that are younger and have to do things like schoolwork. And all of a sudden, like the distraction comes in that ever happened. And you know, you got to do something today. And as you start doing it, like you're distracted and like you're lost because now you're in the world of distractions. And like you're following Google to like a rabbit hole. 
or like you're just checking something on the news and the next thing you know it's an hour later and you're like reading articles about the two incredible sides of the political sphere just killing each other and now you're like lost in a debate that you have nothing to do about you know what i'm talking about checking corona stats trying to predict when this thing is going to be over what is that you know what that is that's the impulse take a break what is that thing what are they talking about you need a cup of, another cup of coffee you got to walk around you've been working for more than four minutes that impulse when we think that's us gets confusing right we think the impulse saying eat the chocolate is me my soul saying eat the chocolate it's not it's our brain now our brain i mean this is like right at this point together on the boost we know this our brain isn't us our brain is a computer there's a lot of stuff in that brain that we don't even want in there it got in there but we didn't want it in there and one of the things that we have put in our brains and we've conditioned it is this inability to have a filter right you picture as if like picture as if like we haven't yet laid enough pipes between the nuclear reactor, right, and the house. What we really need to do is go back and lay more pipes. So this way the, the energy can come in in a much more specific way. So that's how I picture the the, the, the back of my head, the, the hot system, the limbic system. It's supposed to be impulsive. It's normal if you feel impulsive. If you feel like, if you, if you, like you don't want to eat, if you don't want to eat the food in front of you that tastes good, great. I mean, they're amazing. But like but most people do, especially if you lie yourself a little bit. Most people want to say things that they want to say. Most people want to engage in desires. You still have a body. You still have bodily desires. You still have things that you want to engage in. You still have all that laziness. Now, see how laziness plays out in the yes of zeal. But now the same laziness is playing out also in the no of discipline. Because laziness also manifests as get distracted. Don't focus. Don't fight against this desire that's coming at you. And if we connect ourselves and think that that impulse is me, it's hard to say no. But the minute we recognize the impulse for what it is, which is an impulse, it's just a computer glitch or not even a glitch. It's how the computer works. It's how our computer works because we're built to survive. And when we are in situations where our body asks for something, the survival part of us says, go give your body. It needs, it needs, it needs. The, the game that we're trying to do is, is not stop being us. It's not, feeling bad about our impulses. It's not feeling bad about our desires. In fact, the Talmud teaches us that the greater a person is, the greater their desires are. And I can tell you stories of great rabbis who took incredible safeguards against illicit desires where their students are like, what are you doing? You're a rabbi. You're a holy person. And the rabbi's like, what do you think? Because like you get to be holier. You don't have desires. Desires come from your body. It comes from the bodily aspects of your soul. We just work more in ourselves. We have more piping, if you will. There are more safety valves that go from the back of our heads to our hands. But 
having an impulse to do something that's not great for you, that's called life. That's called being a human being. This is where a lot of us get tripped up because we judge ourselves based on that impulse. If I'm thinking this, then what kind of person am I? If I was going to say this, then really? If I would, maybe I haven't really grown if I still have a desire for. I'm still thinking about this from 20 years ago. What? No, it's called being a human being. You got neuroplasticity out there. You got stuff in our heads that are still being synaptic pruned. Still lingers. You walk by somewhere and you smell something in an airport and you automatically have a, yeah, because when you were a kid, you might, I don't know, there's stuff going on in our heads. We're not judging ourselves. It's not the impulse that's worth the judgment. It's what happens from the impulse that's worth the judgment. Because if we're working on the discipline, what we do is say, okay, that's an impulse. We separate ourselves from our impulses. We work to see the impulse for what it is, a piece of the computer, and not for what it's not, which is a piece of us. We're a soul. We're trying to shine out. We're not some desire that is coming at us that is most likely there because of something that was in our heads years earlier. And so if we want to really build discipline, we got to like break down the elements and get underneath it. And the first way we do that is we recognize that the impulse to do something outside the rational thought is taking place from two different parts of our brains. The impulses come from the back and the prefrontal cortex comes from the front. This is where we think rationally. This is where we think impulsively. And just seeing it like that, and this is where our soul, it's not really where our soul, the soul's in our brains, but let's just use this. For those who are listening, I'm pointing to the back of my head, front of my head, and, and my chest. The chest is not where your soul is, but just for now. But once we recognize that, that I am above and beyond the computer called my brain, then if we could just separate ourselves from our impulses, then we can, when we feel an impulse to do something, we can create a little bit of a chasm, a little space to look at it and go, huh, well, that's interesting. My brain wants me to eat that. Now, if we can get there, I am telling you that I'm going to stop here. I have so much more I wanted to say. We'll have to wait for tomorrow because this is the spot, the spot to stop. 29.19. This is the stuff, okay? Let's just nail this down for today. If we could create a wedge, pictures if you're holding like a little wedge and you got to like stick it somewhere or putting like a bookmark. If you could, if you and I could stick a wedge between me and my impulse in the smallest way, take the smallest thing today, impulse to anything, sleep later, distract during work, eat the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, anything throughout the day. Pick anything throughout the day. And as the impulse comes for you to do something that is not aligned, so to speak, all you're doing is a little wedge. Just for a second, turning around and looking at the impulse and going, ha, huh. so you, remember not me, you, you're telling your impulse, want me to eat that? Mm -mm. 
even if we eat it, it's still okay. Even if we eat it at the end of the day, it's still fine. You know why? Because we're beginning to turn to that part of our brain and go, you're not me. And the distance, even the smallest way, the little bit of ray of light that is shining through the impulse and the essential eye is going to be so small, we're going to grow it and grow it and grow it until we'll get to a place where you'll walk into a room or you'll talk to your spouse or you'll talk to your kid and that thing will come in and you'll go, whoa, 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 excuse me for a second. And you will literally, at least figuratively, turn to your impulse and go, you want me to say that? You remember last time I said that? How did it turn out? Thanks. Appreciate the advice. Impulse. Go back to the back of the head. Can I handle this? I'm going to the front of my head. We're going to make some good decisions. Just, I'm, I'm over-exaggerating a drop, but not by much. Just thinking like this begins the process of building this incredible world of discipline in which we are in control not our neuroplasticity. Okay, we'll continue this tomorrow. We got to talk a little bit more about this stuff. All right, have an awesome day. Try it, try it today, just once. It'll, it'll make me so happy if you could try that today and share it with us tomorrow. Just once, turn to your impulse and go, really? And just see it as separate from you. And then it'll just, we'll begin this process of taking full control over our lives. All right, thanks so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Have an incredible day. And with God's help, can't wait to see you again tomorrow.